And UPS just showed up. <laughs> How can you tell? <laughs> well, it's the doorbell and the dog going bananas. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. This episode of iFreaks is brought to you in part by Postcards. Postcards is the simplest way to allow user feedback from right inside your application. With just a simple gesture, anyone testing your app can send you a postcard containing a screenshot of the app and some notes. It's a great way to handle bug reports or feature requests from your client. It takes five minutes to set up, and the first five postcards each month are free. Get started today by visiting www.postcard.es. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 99 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel we have James Zuber. I got up too early this morning. Things might get a little bit weird. Alondo Brewington. Hello from North Carolina. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I just want to throw out a quick thank you to anybody who backed my Kickstarter campaign. It did fund, so I will be making videos about Ruby on Rails, which may or may not be interesting to people listening to this show, but it does help me uh, you know, get a little closer to being able to do the show stuff uh, a little bit more full-time. Anyway, our topic today is, is Objective-C dead? It's done. Put a fork in it. I'm not <laughs> saying the fat lady's singing, but she's warming up. Okay, we done? <laughs> <laughs> no, maybe not. I wonder if we're even hearing the music for right now. Uh, it's, I'm uh, sure. They're tuning, maybe. Getting ready for the final. So are you trying to say that they're probably going to, I don't know, They're eventually all apps are going to be written in Swift? Well, there's definitely a lot of excitement around the language, and it's got a lot of adoption, much more than I thought at this stage. I've heard and spoken to many people who are, uh, have started some dev efforts in Swift or have already completely switched over. So it was a bit surprising to me because I thought it was still sort of early in their process. So that makes me wonder how much longer uh, are we going to be working with Objective-C? Yeah, definitely. I've noticed that trend over the past two, three months. It's March 2015 right now, and I've noticed a tide turn. People feeling comfortable with Swift going forward and actually doing real development. People getting paid apps that are going to the App Store. But it's a good question. Is Objective-C something that's going to stick around? I think a lot of that depends on Apple. You know, is Apple going to kill it? Or I don't think they've given an official word, have they? No, Also, just looking at history, multi-language support in, uh, with Apple, I'm, I mean, there, there have always been some, but I don't know if uh, a language, I mean, Objective-C is pretty much the, you know, primary language for development, and um, there have been efforts at various times to support some other ones, but it never seems to have gotten the type of you know, support that Swift is. It seems like they're really backing it and pushing it. So um, I would say this time is a bit different than any of the prior efforts I've heard. Of. Yeah, but even with older frameworks, you know, people stuck with Carbon for a long time 
for development. People will stick with it as long as Apple will support it. Yeah. Which was until a past release or two. But yeah, I, I definitely, I'm not hearing signs from Apple that Objective-C is going away. You know, it's a first-class language on the platform, and it's going to continue to be. You, do you Go think ahead. it'll fade, though, as the popular way of doing things? I think that's happening now. I mean, just seeing a lot of blog posts, seeing a lot of books coming out, there definitely is sort of the sea change that's happening in terms of, of learning materials and things of that nature that are, uh, people are excited about Swift, and they're actually providing the examples in Swift and these techniques, so they're not... I'm not saying that no one's interested in, in providing those materials in Objective-C, but it seems like now versus a year ago, the question would be like, do you have an example in Swift? And now it's, well, do you still have an example in Objective-C that I can look at? Right. Yeah, I think it's definitely a case where you're going to need to be bilingual. At least look at both and understand what's happening with Objective-C. So I don't necessarily see people doing all Swift development and not knowing Objective-C. I mean, there's just so much code out there that's written in Objective-C. And the framework is still Objective-C. You know, that hasn't changed. So anything you want to do has to at least interact with Objective-C. So in that, in that sense, we're stuck with it. You know, Maybe Apple's working on view controllers, UI kit stuff that's pure Swift, and that'd be pretty cool. But I haven't heard about it, and that'd be a pretty huge undertaking. Yeah, I think if they started either replacing or rewriting frameworks in Swift, then you might start thinking, okay, they're, they're probably moving toward rolling rolling things out. But even then... I mean, some of these frameworks have been around for quite a while, and so I could also just see them updating them and doing it in the latest and greatest language. Yeah, I would definitely say we start seeing something like UIKit done in Swift, and that's definitely a nail in that coffin for Objective-C. It'd be hard to deny that that's the Apple's intent um, is to move away from Objective-C support. But as far as being completely dead, uh, I still think that there are opportunities out there and, you know, you've got legacy code that just exists. I don't know how that would play out as far as what clients are willing to do or companies are willing to do with their code bases. Is it worth that effort to bring someone in as a Swift developer to update that code base or not? Yeah, just the sheer amount of legacy code that's out there. You know, it, it's going to be there. There's going to be support for quite a long time. There were be rise in the street with some pretty deep pockets behind them if Apple really wanted to do away with Objective-C. And realistically, I've been doing mostly Swift for the past few months, and I'm still dropping into Objective-C for a little bit of pieces of things here. Oh, really? Yeah. Like what? Just, I'm not particularly creating an Objective-C file, but I'll have to derive something from NSObject if I wanted something to be loaded by a nib, something like that. So the framework-y type things that we've been doing you know, I'm dropping down into Objective-C-ish things, even though I'm technically writing Swift, I'm using all the, you know, the dynamic runtime things. So that's, you know, baked in. So is this a byproduct of not using storyboards or and just writing custom nibs? Yeah, or just you do a storyboard or a nib. You know, we talked about dependency injection. We had Jay Thrash come on. If you want to create a class that's going to be built, loaded by your nib, it has to be an NS object. The nib's not going to look at it, find a... Uh, regular Swift object in there. So that all requires NS object. So in that sense, you know, we're, we're stuck with, you know, NS objects, you know, a view controller a little down the ways is still an NS object. So as much as I'd like to be in a pure Swift world, I learned pretty quick that it's not going to happen. There's things that you can do purely Swifty, but a lot of things that you're still, you know, if you want to use the stuff that's there, you know, loading via nib or another example is like notifications. So if you want to fire a notification, call this method, 
a class, uh, if it's just a Swift object doesn't derive from NS object, then it's just going to fail silently and you'll hit your head against the wall. And I've seen a number of people make the same mistakes I did. So to get the runtime goodness that we're used to uh, interacting with you know, the frameworks and notifications, things like that, we're still driving from NS object for a lot of things, or at least flagging the method as Objective-C. That's one of the tags you can do. Are there other examples of things that uh, just don't work or don't work well in Swift? I mean, I know that they've been working to make it fully function, but it sounds like it's just not quite there yet, and I'm just wondering what other gotchas are out there. Yeah, I just, like, if you want to be in a pure Swift sandbox, it's just kind of a sandbox. It's not huge, and there's a lot we can do in there, but interacting with the framework at large, you know, in a lot of cases, we're still, you know, dropping down into Objective-C dynamic-type stuff. What about the tooling? So tooling, I'd say Xcode is pretty good. I haven't tried the new version that has you know, Swift 1.2 yet, but I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. You know, there's no refactoring support, or it's very minimal. If it was, I've gotten used to not having any refactoring support, which I'm sure all Xcode developers have been used to for a long time. I would <laughs> totally say I was going to second that, because I'm just like, I'm already <laughs> used to not having it. We're already used to it. But like, no, the newer versions of Xcode actually do some things fairly smartly with Objective-C. You can rename things and have it intelligently go through and update the right values and go in the nib, actually, and change things, so... You know, the Objective-C side, you have a little bit more support if you like the IDE features. I've just gotten used to not it not being there. So it may have been it may have been snuck up and may sneak up and work better, but I haven't seen that yet. The source kit crashes, which sometimes you used to have to restart Xcode to get your color encoding working correctly, your code completion. But that generally repairs itself pretty quickly. So overall, Xcode works pretty well with Swift. Or as well as it does with Objective-C. I'm still yeah. uh, getting quite a number of unexpected crashes, even just attaching uh, devices and trying to uh, run code in Objective-C right now. It's a little frustrating. So <laughs> makes me feel a little bit better that if I switched to Swift, it wouldn't really change much. No, it's definitely a couple steps back with Swift. So it's definitely not as solid. But, you know, Xcode's not crashing very often anymore. So that that's good. Yeah, I wonder, so in this landscape, so we're right in the middle. And as you said, the need is to be bilingual and just knowing how some people are about language, both spoken and computer, that are a bit resistant to that change, what does that mean for them as far as what you're seeing in terms of the ability to work on projects? Are people who are sort of staunch Objective-C only developers going to be sort of relegated to maintenance projects at some point soon? I don't think so. I think it's reasonable to start a project with Objective-C. I started a project with Objective-C last week, even though I've been doing mostly Swift. It makes sense for a lot of cases, and there's things that Objective-C does a lot better. We talked about some. Andrew's here. He tweeted a little bit about it, but there's just things that a more mature language that's been on the framework for a long time is going to handle better. You know, a lot of runtime stuff. That's already baked in. We're already used to it. We understand how the patterns work. So Objective-C, still very cool. Are there things out there that kind of nudge you toward one direction or the other? For example, if I go into Xcode in the latest version and I create a new project, is it going to default to Objective-C or to Swift? I don't know. I think it remembers what you did last. So I'm not sure what the default one does, which is kind of annoying because I switch between projects for different clients, and like the new file dialog even goes between Swift and Objective-C. It doesn't remember it per project, which is like, oh, no, shoot. What's this M file? I don't need this M file. And the documentation, does it give you examples in both languages? Yes. So documentation is pretty solid. Most of the pages... 
you can choose Objective-C, Swift, or both. So I found it pretty good, no matter which one I'm working with. But yeah, I do want to get back to a little bit what Alando said about having two languages. And if you just know Objective-C, are you relegated to the back row of development? And I don't think so. You know, I think if you start an Objective-C project because you're afraid of Swift and the new features and it's not quite ready and things aren't perfect, you know, there's still bugs in the language, you're probably being a little bit too conservative. But on the other hand, if you just go right into Swift because, you know, you think Objective-C is the old way of doing things, you know, you're probably being a little bit too forward thinking because they're both going to coexist for quite a while. Well, that's comforting because I, I, I do like the idea of being able to actively develop in both languages, taking advantage of whichever one is preferable in a given situation. I am worried, though, quite frankly, that eventually Objective-C would disappear and that we wouldn't have uh, support. I don't necessarily think that it's sort of dying on the vine right now and it would happen in the next year or two, but um, I've gotten, I've grown accustomed to using Objective-C. I came over from C-sharp. I really do like it. Um, I'm excited about Swift, though I haven't done any projects in it um, outside of just fooling around with the playground. But I, I would really like to live in a world where I had the option of using both and I would use both. Yeah, definitely. That's most of the signs that I'm seeing that, you know, they're going to be brother and sister going forward. Use the right one for the job. I just did a NS operation in Swift and it was a nightmare trying to figure out how to make it happen correctly the way I wanted it to. But I think I'm seeing a trend. It could be just a trend that everyone's all excited about Swift that it's actually usable, where a lot of new projects are using it and people are having success. And the big question, is that a consistent trend, something that's going to keep going? Or is it something that what's the curve where everyone gets excited about something and it crashes down back to earth and they realize it's terrible. It doesn't do what we want it to do. Then it kind of comes back up. What's the name of that curve? Did anyone know? Everyone gets excited. Then they think it's terrible. Then it kind of usage comes right back up and like as people like, okay, here's where this is the right tool for the job. And so we could be on the first upswing where everyone's all excited or we could be on the second upswing. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm curious about that. You mentioned some apps being shipped out. I'm not aware of any apps that uh, are either popular or out there on my radar that have been recently rewritten in Swift and have shipped to the App Store. But some examples would be awesome if you know. So nothing I can really talk about, but apps you've heard of are being developed in Swift. And I don't think it makes sense to rewrite an Objective-C app in Swift unless you're going to rewrite it anyway. So, I mean, it's something that's been around in the Objective-C land for a long time. They're probably not thinking, oh, I'm going to redo this in Swift. I guess one example, we had uh, Justin Sparr-Summers on last week, and he talked about GitHub. So that's Swift. Mostly Swift, I believe. So I don't, I don't, know, I don't know everything, but they're doing a lot of it in Swift. And that's the other thing, is just the ability to mix in the project both Swift and Objective-C is probably sort of leaning towards people's willingness to really adopt it and bring it in and start doing development on active, you know, front and center projects. Yeah, definitely. One of the things that surprised me is how well they're integrated. You know, they're two very different languages. One's dynamic, you know, small talk based. You send messages and one's more compiled C++-ish you know, with modern features. And I was trying to write a, a unit test for an Objective-C library. And I was going to do the Swift way of doing things, which is just subclass it and override one of the methods. And I'm like, wait a minute, can I derive a Swift class from a Objective C class, like thought about it, like that seems weird. Well, how could that? How could that even work? And it turns out it can. And I realized a little bit later that, well, duh, almost all of the classes that we're using from the framework are Objective C classes that we're overriding in Swift. You know, our UI view controllers. You know, those have that's you know Objective C under the hood. So it's very co common. So even subclasses can be a different language. 
That is awesome. And that gives me, it gives me hope for my dual world where they, where the both of the languages persist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even, you know, you have a C sharp background. I had a C sharp background. Like the concepts in Swift are, you know, pre existing. Most of them aren't terribly new. They were in C sharp. So you know how to deal with a nil, you know, a knowable thing. I'm not calling them optionals now, but so I think people generally become more comfortable doing both. Do you have any issues switching back and forth in, in that in that environment, you know, uh, between the languages? All the time. Just the compiler brain farts, you know. Instead of let this thing equals, I start off like an NS string, and I put the asterisks up there, and like, why doesn't this compile? Like, what's going on? I've been doing this for years, and like, oh, yeah, Swift project, you know. So little compile things get me, but those are more just annoyances. One other thing that I'm noticing, because I've, I've been working through Ray Wenderlich's stuff, is that all of the tutorials that he has out there are in Swift. And so the new crop of developers out there are probably going to be learning to do things in Swift and not in Objective-C. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, that was the thing that I noticed at RWDevCon as well, was that it was completely in Swift. In fact, to the, I wasn't really ready <laughs> for it. I was, I, so I walked in and started working through some of the tutorials, and I was just like, I had to get my brain like just switched over to start even thinking in terms of so if I came in fully expecting, you know, there would be some objective C, but they really have gone full board in adopting Swift. But it was nice. I really did enjoy that fact to be immersed in it. And I think that's a great way to do it. But I think you're absolutely right. The next crop of developers, I know a lot of Ruby devs from work that are that just when Swift was announced, they were just super psyched about developing for it in a way that they just weren't with Objective C. So I think it's got a lot of fans, even from other coming from other languages. I think that's a good point. I think people are afraid of Objective-C. It's very different than most of the other popular languages. And Swift seems a little bit more familiar. If you're doing Ruby, C-sharp, whatever you're coming from. So yeah, I hadn't thought about yeah the new developers picking up iOS apps just doing Swift only. But this leaves the opportunity for the people that still know Objective-C. It's always been a feather in my cap as a developer. You know, Not that I'm doing a lot of C++, but I'm able to. People come to the, a platform, the framework, they're like... Yeah, I know I can do all these UI type stuff, but under the hood, you know, we've got this library we need to interop with, and how do you do that? So it's always good to have kind of both an additional tool in your tool belt, as it were. Yeah, I agree. Unfortunately, my COBOL experience hasn't helped me. And just... <laughs> <laughs> One of these oh, days. I'm, I'm sure, yeah. Apple's working on that. They just haven't announced it yet. So we could talk about, you know, other than Objective-C and Swift, you know, what are some other complementary languages? that work in the you know, iOS, Mac world. You know, obviously C, there's a lot of C involved, and if you want to do iOS development in a lot of C, you could do it. That's true with Objective-C being a superset of C. Mm-hmm. In fact, that is exactly where I was going to go with this, is that you can get a pretty wide and varied experience uh, doing the same thing, right? You can build iOS apps in Objective-C or C, or you can do hybrid apps with JavaScript. I think there are a couple of systems out there that actually compile JavaScript to the Objective-C runtime through LLVM. Ruby Motion compiles to LLVM. I'm pretty sure Xamarin does. Uh, so you have all of these different options. It's actually adding, I think, a lot to the ecosystem just in the sense that if you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, then your experience is going to be less valuable than if you're learning many different ways to do things. And so, you know, if you're going out and you're fighting these other battles and, you know, just recognizing that there are things that you still have to learn 
and taking advantage of the experiences that are out there for you to have, then you can benefit from those. And so by Swift being a first class supported by Apple member of the development tools arena, you know, people can go out and learn a different way to do things and a different way to think about problems. I think that's an excellent point, too, because I think that that sort of stresses that need to continually challenge yourself as a developer to. And it's so easy to sort of rely on your comforts and your your strengths without really pushing yourself. Um, And that's the thing that I'm looking forward to, not just in the vein of learning Swift and working with Swift, but even the types of apps that I'm working on, because since I've started developing for this ecosystem, all the apps have tended to be the same type. And I was having a conversation with a friend of mine uh, about a week or so ago, and we were talking about branching out and doing different types of projects as well. And I think, you know, combining that with Swift really would promote sort of getting in a different mindset of problem solving and, and different types of challenges. Yeah, there's uh, I actually started a hack night about a year ago, and I never quite knew what I wanted it to be. I just wanted it to be somewhere where I could go and talk to people and you know, experience some other viewpoints. But after the latest batch of conferences I went to, which was a few weeks ago, I realized that what I really wanted was just some place to be creative. And so I've changed the group so that it's now a creative coding group. And what we do is we get together. And so last week we were working on Twitter bots. And, you know, it was just look for mentions is kind of the idea. Take whatever people are are mentioning at mentioning at you and then you know, sending back a response just for fun. I mean, I don't have any practical application for this. I'm sure I could think of something that might be useful for it to do. But anyway, so we hooked into the Google Translate APIs and we built, so you tweet at it in English or any other language, incidentally, because you can tell it through the API to actually guess what the language is that's being sent in and then it'll translate it. And the person I was working with wanted to do it in German. So you tweet at it in, in any language, and it'll reply with the translation in German, you know, just just for the heck of it. And, you know, so yeah, so having those opportunities to branch out and try something new and just experiment and play and learn is vital, I think, in this profession. It is, you know, if you have this certain mindset where you're trying to expand what you're doing. But there are also a certain subset of developers that... They show up, they sit in a chair every day, and they do what their company says, hey, this is what you need to do. This is our framework, this is what we work with, and they don't worry about it. And I ran into a small talk developer about a month ago. I was like, wow, really? Like, you do small talk? Like, who even hires small talk? And there's a few companies in town that still do that have had the code base in, since, you know, early 90s, whenever small talk was the thing. And there's always the joke when I was in school that, you know, if you learn COBOL, you'll have work for the rest of your life. <laughs> there's so much COBOL out there. Yeah, you know, but it's you, not you, fun work. <laughs> you're going to hate your life, but uh, definitely. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I read a book about uh, having a career as a software developer, and one of the recommendations that the author made was to have a toe in two pools. One is a uh, burgeoning up-and-coming uh, technology or language, and then one is one that's dying. And basically the idea was that you'd always have work because there's a small pool of people who are really on that cutting edge that are learning about the new language and there are very few people that are still left that may know like an older language. And so not only would you still be in demand being able to find project work, but both of those tend to pay pretty well as well. So um, they're suggesting that it's, it's quite a lucrative approach. So in our discussion, is that Swift and Objective-C as far as like a cutting edge language and a language that may be on its way out? Well, ooh, that's, yeah, I guess I should, I should. In this regard, I think Swift is 
like an up and coming language and it fits that first, the one pool. I don't think Objective C though is the language in the other category that's dying. I think you'd probably have to find something else that really is sort of falling out of favor and there are fewer and fewer companies that are doing development or fewer and fewer projects that need that sort of support. Although I will say you can probably find projects though in Objective C that may be difficult for them to find people that are willing or interested in working on them because they're not really solving uh, any interesting problems anymore. And they're basically in maintenance mode with maybe just bugs to be fixed in every iteration. You know, if you could do BlackBerry work, you could probably <laughs> find someone that needs a BlackBerry app work done. <laughs> if you're the BlackBerry person, it will still do it. You could probably charge a pretty good rate for whatever companies are still doing BlackBerry. Yeah, it's funny. We still get requests sometimes for Blackberries. The ones that we, you know, it's a running joke in the company. We get like a request for a Windows version and a Blackberry version. The Windows version, the numbers just aren't there. Blackberry just like, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never know. All this technology has its life cycle, right? Yeah, who knows? Five years, are we going to be talking about iOS? Maybe not. Maybe it's something else. Maybe iOS is the fading technology in five years. Be, well, yeah, I think you're right. I think five years, because my hopeful scenario is just like two years. Yeah, I don't think it's going away. But in five years, it's it's a pretty good possibility that we are, you know, legitimately saying is, you know, I think Objective-C is done. It's like no one's doing it. JavaScript will still be around there. <laughs> it's true. JavaScript yeah, is but, like the cockroach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but everybody will be transpiling to JavaScript, right? They won't actually be writing it. Yeah. It could be. Got my Swift uh, JavaScript converter. So I can keep my uh, skills up to date. Very nice. If Objective-C really isn't that language that's fading out, is there something else that's dying? Or does there have to be? There always has to be. In the mobile world, iOS, that we're talking about, is anything really going away? There's probably not a real demand for Objective-C++. Not that there ever was. But if you've got a C++ library and you need to integrate it, you're probably thinking that way. Yeah, I think I think I think you're touching on something that I think if we look at the the goal of that language, is it there to really solve a fundamental problem, or was it there as basically an on ramp or a bridge for the fact that there were far more developers that are uh, acquainted with the other language? Yep. Once you once you hit a critical mass of ample developers that can write natively, I think those types of languages, you know. Uh, they go away. The supports, you know, it's, it's not necessary anymore. And I think with Swift, we'll probably see something similar as we were talking about earlier. It's just that the excitement and the growth and the number of new developers, there won't necessarily be a need. The only difference is that Objective-C is such an integral part right now by way of, you know, frameworks that there still is a lot of sort of fundamental uh, work that would have to be done to really uproot it and get rid of it such that you could totally do away with Objective-C. And I still think that that's quite a ways away. Yeah, definitely. If the language is designed to, to solve a big headache, then it, it's probably going to stay around. If it's something that solves like a minor minor stub toe or something, that I can hurt too. But my metaphors are all off today. But if you're solving <laughs> a big headache, your language is probably pretty safe. And I think Objective-C and Swift both solve big headaches. So the other question I have then is if you learn Swift, are you going to be disadvantaged if you never learned Objective-C? It's a really good question. I mean, from my experience of what I'm seeing right now, um, depending on where you are, I'd actually lean towards, yeah, I think you are disadvantaged right now if you are just learning Swift. I would encourage um, anyone to, I think you're better, I mean, you're in a safer position, of course, knowing Objective-C right now and not knowing Swift than the other way. Do you think that's going to change? Yes. Yeah, that will probably change a lot sooner than, than the sort of death knell of Objective-C if that does ever occur. Um, I think... Uh, that could easily easily be something that in a year or two, maybe even sooner, I don't know, 
that you, you I wouldn't say that. I would say, no, you're fine. You don't know Objective C. It's not going to hamper you at all. Yeah, when you consider probably at least ninety percent of the code written on the platform is Objective C, you know, it, it's a pretty big hindrance not to know it. So people that are already knew it, they're going to be at an advantage. I mean, even trying to do mostly Swift, I found you can't do pure Swift, or it doesn't do as much all the things that I wanted to do. Even you know, third-party libraries, if you're sticking to just Swift, you're sticking to big ones or new ones. So you're, you know, a lot of times you're going to be dropping into Objective-C, and you should have an understanding of what's happening and how it's different, even though in a lot of cases you can kind of get by without knowing it. When you do need to know, it's usually when you have a really big headache, and just having that knowledge helps you out. Yeah, I'm just really curious to see how true all of that is here in a year. I, I, I definitely think we're going to see a change in a year. I think opinions about that would be significantly different. I expect them to be in a year anyway. Yeah, I think definitely we'll have more. If you want to be pure Swift, you'll have more options with third-party frameworks, libraries. But I think I don't see Objective-C making big declines, maybe small. I think Swift will be making new gains because I think we're still getting more and more developers to the platform. So I think Swift will continue to grow. Objective-C will maybe grow, just not as fast. But I think they're both going to be pretty widely used. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I, think you're, I think you're right. I think we're seeing growth in developers not... I don't think that growth is going to come at the expense of Objective-C. But uh, that pie is just going to look a lot different. <laughs> I think That's true, yeah. The pie, the pie shape, maybe Objective-C is shrinking. But as far as number of developers, probably staying the same or improving a little bit. Yep. Anything else we should uh, touch on with this before we get to the picks? Do we have a conclusion? Or is it foregone? I would say it's not dead yet. <laughs> it's not dead yet. It's not even medium rare. I don't know. Yeah, that's a terrible. That was a terrible metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> you had to cook it. Okay. But, but yeah, the, I, it does seem like the general consensus is is that no, it's not dead, and no, we don't foresee it going away anytime soon. All right. Ignore the haters. Sticking around. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Alondo, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure. In the vein of learning uh, Swift, I uh, have a great book that I picked up at uh, RW DevCon called iOS Animations about Tutorials. It is from uh, Ray Wunderlich Tutorials. All the examples are in Swift, and they do a great job, as as you know, uh, with tutorials. So if you wanted to get started doing current, you know, using animations and maybe integrating some new code uh, using Swift, I think this is probably a good place to start. So, and my second pick. I think I've already uh, put placed in there is another uh, learning source and is uh, the Elevate Saga site for learning. I, I was recently teaching my, um, introducing my, uh, one of my nephews to programming. Uh, now it's not Objective-C and it's not Swift, but it's JavaScript, but it's a great sort of onboarding and engaging way. If I figure if it works on the teenager, it would be a nice resource for anyone who's interested in getting started. So um, it's fun to play. It's really simple. You can pick it up pretty quickly, um, but it's a great way to, to start working with programming, particularly in JavaScript. So those are my two picks for this week. Awesome. I'm wondering if I could get my nine-year-old into that because it's nothing to set up. And Exactly. That's what I liked about it. It didn't even require me to, to go out and get a secondary machine or anything. We just fired up it on the browser, and we sat there, and he just had fun with it. Yep. All right, Jane, what are your picks? All right, well, I've got one pick. So remember once upon a time we used to talk with a guy named Ben Sherman? Vaguely remember? Yeah, I like that guy. Okay, I like the guy. He was, no, he's a, he's one of the original people on the show, the iFreak show. He's back with a new podcast, and this is not 
tech-related. It's guitar-related, so he plays guitar. And I've been checking it out, and I, I play guitar. I've been playing for a long time, but I still learn stuff new, some new stuff. So he, I forget the name of the other uh, other host, but another iOS developer, I believe. So uh, odd little idiosyncrasy, but he's doing a, a podcast, uh, mostly talking about guitar, gears, practicing, stuff like that. Um, but I've been playing for decades, and I, I learned some stuff. So check out Vibrato FM, starring Ben Sherman. That is my pick. Very cool. I've got a couple of picks. The first one is I bought a new keyboard. It's the WASD Code keyboard. It's got uh, mechanical switches in it for the mechanical switches people who, you know, really care about that stuff. I got the Cherry MX Clear switches. I'm starting to wonder, though, if I want, if I should have gotten one with, like, the blue switches or something that have a little bit more, they have a little bit more resistance at the top, and then they release and go down. But uh, I am liking it. I feel like I can type a little bit faster on it. I don't know if I can actually type a little bit faster on it because I haven't, you know, I didn't time myself or anything or anything like that. But I am really liking it. It does have a few features on it. Um, it has toggle switches on the back, so you can actually set it to run, for example, the Mac way. So it says Alt on my keyboard because it, you know, it's kind of the standard QWERTY keyboard. But that Alt button is actually the Command button, and the button next to it, there's a blank is the alt button. And the reason is is because there's a switch on there that switches those keys. And there are a few other switches on that, that, that change a couple of different things. You can also set the keys to be backlit. I think it's cool, so I turn it on sometimes, but I don't actually use it all that often. But yeah, so it's got a few features that are pretty nice. And overall, it's a pretty nice keyboard. It's not a cheap keyboard, so I'll just put it that way. Uh, before that, I was using the aluminum Apple keyboard but i figured out that with the clear switches they're not so loud that you know you can hear me typing clattering away so i do like that about that when i'm doing the podcasts another pick is i got this foam wrist rest off of amazon and uh, i'm really digging that as well that was like eight bucks um so i've got this really cheap looking wrist rest next to a 150 dollar keyboard so <laughs> so go figure um, I also backed a Kickstarter campaign. I mentioned at the start of the show that I had a funded Kickstarter campaign. Um, and that's for the Pebble Watch. Uh, they're doing a new round with Color E-Ink. So I should be getting that in like July, and I'm really excited about that. And then one other pick that I'm going to throw out there, if any of you are going to MicroConf, please let me know. You can just tweet at me, at C-M-A-X-W. I'd love to know. I'd love to meet up with you. I'm getting stickers printed for all the shows. I actually got them for three of the shows and I'm getting them for the other two of the shows pretty soon here. So that should be awesome. And yeah, so anyway, those are all my picks. Oh, one more pick. I read a book or listened to a book on Audible called Ready Player One. I think it's been picked on the show before. Anyway, I loved it. So if you like the old 80s video game stuff, um, it takes place in a virtual universe and the real world. It's kind of dystopian in the real world, but, you know, I didn't like some of the outlooks that some of the characters had, but overall, I really enjoyed it. And the reason I didn't like him was mostly because I'm an optimist, and I just didn't agree with that outlook. But anyway, so yeah, so great books, great stuff, and those are my picks. Awesome. Probably won't find a lot of optimism in dystopian. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a new genre. You just created it. Optimistic dystopian <laughs> novels. Yes. Yep, there we yeah. go. Yeah. One other thing I want to just toss out there, if you want to get emailed when the show comes out, you can do that now. Just go to ifreakshow.com and enter your email address at the top of the page. One other thing that I also want to throw out there is that I've had a few people who listen to this show say that they would like me to put on a remote conference like I'm doing for Ruby right now and like I did for JavaScript last month. 
I'm totally down with that. I just need to know that enough people are interested. So if you want to tweet at me about that too, that would be cool. And besides that, I don't think I have any other announcements or thoughts. So unless you guys do, we'll wrap up the show. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the iFreaks and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at iFreakShow.com slash form. 